Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Weak Side Podcast. I am Connor Orr, and through that Zoom window over there is Sports Illustrated senior writer, unit chair badass, and ultimate co-host Jenny Vrentis. Jenny, what's going on? How was your weekend? Did anything notable happen? <laughs> well, that was a nice introduction, Connor. You know, it was just a quiet weekend. Um, nothing really, you know, to report back on, Connor. Just kidding. It was it was crazy in New York. Uh, my block, uh, really lively uh, mid-morning Saturday. Lots of people out and about in New York celebrating the news, um, the election results. My floor was pretty bustling as well. So it was uh, it was just a, a day in which there was a lot of positive reactions, which was a really nice day to see in 2020, Connor. Very cool. Yeah, I think we all, uh, you know, everyone got a little catharsis uh, out of it this weekend, whether it be via election results or, uh, you know, if that's not your politics, perhaps watching uh, the Buccaneers bottom out on Sunday Night Football maybe brought you a little bit of joy or maybe both. Maybe you had a really great weekend like some people I know. Um, So I don't know. What do you say we just uh, jump right into the topics here and um, we'll get to the Buccaneers in a minute. But something that really stood out to me and I kind of wanted to talk about off the top of the show since I know Jenny has done a lot of reporting on a lot of these players um, and eager to kind of hear her take on this too but this is another weekend and another banner set of games for the future of the NFL at the quarterback mm-hmm. position we had Tua Tungavailoa, Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson these are all players who are 25 or under all of them either led their teams to victory or played a starring role this weekend continuing a trend that may have us a little bit less misty about saying goodbye to the old statuesque quarterback quarterbacks we've been clinging to for so long um i'll add to this before tagging jenny in here that i think with the exception of Tua, all all of these players are top 15 or above in espn's total qbr which is like at least a good analytical measure of quarterback not only how they're performing but against what defenses and kind of taking everything else into consideration but I don't know what do you think Jenny this seems like I mean a couple years ago we were talking about maybe a quarterback drought and all of a sudden this is like an abundance of riches yeah and you wrote a great piece of this on si.com on Sunday but I think what's great about what we're seeing now is there aren't these comparisons to the older generation as much. For so long, it was like, when is the next Tom Brady? Who is the next Peyton Manning? And now all of these quarterbacks, they're their own thing. And people aren't comparing them as much because they don't compare. They're a different style of play. These are different offenses. Uh, They're doing these wild things. They're getting better from college to the pros. Uh, They're really taking off. Um, So I think it's neat to see this group of young quarterbacks be appreciated for who they are um, and the fact that they're forging a new path for, you know, the shapes and sizes of a quarterback, what kinds of throws quarterbacks make. Uh, what kinds of talent to value in the pre-draft process. And it's a really cool chapter that's rewriting the position in a lot of different ways. Is it just me? And I know this is going to sound sacrilegious. I know that. I know that. I know that. And, you know, when I came into covering football, it was the peak of Brady versus Manning. And mm-hmm. Jenny, when you and I watched football when we were younger, it was Steve Young and Brett Favre and Dan Marino and, and all those guys. But it, 
this is a little more fun for me. And I don't know, like, and mm-hmm. I'm not the target demographic here, right? The NFL already has me locked in. They're, they're looking at the younger generation here. Um, but as an older quote unquote person who is already uh, within the line of the product, I don't think I'm going to miss, you know, and Ben Roethlisberger and Philip Rivers and everybody, Tom Brady, they, they had great careers and I'm not dismissing it, but this is a more enjoyable brand of football for me personally. And it's also a a lot for us to learn. I think that's what I love, too, is that you're seeing something new in offenses. You're seeing uh, really creative approaches. I mean, yes, everything in football is cyclical to a degree. So some of these things are probably pulled from the 60s and 70s, or or we know that they are, at least in Andy Reid's playbook. But uh, I think we're seeing you know, a chance to see the game in a different way, a different lens. And it's kind of like, you know, if you have a puzzle in your house that you've played several times, it just kind of loses its appeal a little bit. And then you get a new puzzle in and it's all the pieces are new and you don't know where they go and you have to refigure things out a little bit. That's what this seems like, Connor. You know, we knew how the old quarterbacks played. We knew what kind of defenses they were vulnerable to. You know, we knew what kind of pressure Tom Brady was vulnerable to. And now it's these quarterbacks have new tricks. Different things don't work. Defenses have to figure things out again. We're seeing, obviously, this explosion of offense, which, okay, for a lot of reasons, rule changes throughout the years favor the offense. But, you know, we're seeing air raid in the NFL when people said that we couldn't. So I just think there's a lot to kind of process and learn every week. And again, just the reimagination of offenses in hand in hand with these young quarterbacks that can do all these different things and are allowed to do all these different things. So yeah, I think your excitement is totally warranted. By the way, is that a humble brag that you finished all of your uh, uh, COVID puzzles, by the way? I actually, uh, funny that you should ask, Connor. I've been saving one for that reason. I have a, uh, I don't know, probably one of those scenes that you always see on Amazon. It's like the Greek islands one that I haven't Mm. done yet. And then my mom sent me a, a new Lego. So I'm saving these for the cold winter months. But yes, Connor, all of the other COVID puzzles I have done. And I just am looking for some new puzzle pieces. And this is what the NFL is also providing us. (laughs) <laughs> I uh, I like your earlier point, too, though, about the lack of comparison. And I think to take it a step further, the rhetoric has also changed, right? Like, how many times would we have watched a version of Tua and Kyler um, even 10 years ago? And all the, all the um, broadcasters would be able to focus on is their mobility, right? Mm-hmm. And couching them as mobile quarterbacks. But I think that try as you may in any... Uh, stretch of the imagination you can't pigeonhole any of these guys you can't pigeonhole Lamar Jackson Patrick Mahomes Kyler Murray they do um yes they are mobile quarterbacks but I would argue that you know in any of the metrics that you use to measure accuracy or you know ball placement any of these things these guys are also top 10 players which just makes the whole thing so much more enjoyable and so much more exciting Yeah, and I think Russell Wilson kind of fell into that window where we weren't ready to fully appreciate that. There was Mm -hmm. so much focus on, well, he's different and he's playing the game different and off script plays and, you know, running around like a a wind up toy almost. And it was just this other category of quarterback rather than appreciating him for all of the things he was doing. We were just labeling him as, 
well, will this be a trendsetter? And does this, you know, is this another knock against the height requirements in the NFL? And, and all of those things. And I, I'm not saying this to take away from any of the special talents that these guys are. I mean, I think that is also the risk by saying, wow, there's so many and they're so good. Each of them individually is this exceptional player. And so you don't want to kind of lump them in a wave in a way that diminishes their individual skills. Mm-hmm. But good I actually point. think that enhances them because I think we probably haven't fully appreciated Wilson. Maybe this year he was getting some of that early shine. And of course he had a rough weekend this weekend, I know. So it's not the best weekend to be making this point, but um, I think part of the reason was because it, it was the focus on how different he was rather than just how good he was. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. Um, and I, I just think that at this point in time, like we're just ready, you know, I think we were just ready for, you know, uh, something new, you know, something that, j- and, and, and I think that it's made everything and everyone else better, right? So Cliff Kingsbury meeting Kyler Murray halfway and running an offense that's um, accentuates his talents or John Harbaugh doing with that, that with Lamar Jackson. I think that that also makes the league better. And I think that that takes away an excuse for so many coaches who have struggled to develop quarterbacks. And hopefully that kind of changes the conversation a little bit to, yes, I mean, are there some players who just naturally aren't going to pay out in the NFL? Yes. But are there dozens and dozens and dozens of great players and talents who were lost through the cracks because of inflexibility by the coaching staff? A hundred percent. And I feel like good for a lot of these guys for stepping up and setting the example. And maybe we're going to have, you know, maybe this class grows larger and larger and larger as we go on, right? Like maybe um, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and everybody who's drafted next year gets to join in here. And we just have a continuation of this instead of these staggered eras, I guess you want to say Connor that's a fantastic point I think it took the coaches a while to adjust and the evaluators and to realize that their old way of doing things wasn't keeping up with the talent that was out there and what was coming up through the high school and college ranks and I think unfortunately there were some players that got caught in that middle era as well where they they didn't have a chance to thrive and so I think that's also part of how good things feel right now because you're you're looking at Kyler Murray and you're thinking maybe in a different situation like this wouldn't have been possible and it wouldn't have had anything to do with him it would have had to do with the situation and the coaching but now he's in this great spot and we get to enjoy it yeah definitely um all right what do we have for uh, number two all right the Buccaneers lost their first game with Antonio Brown on Sunday though loss is really a friendly term for it A brief spin through thesaurus.com turns up more appropriate adjectives like pummeling, bashing, mauling, trouncing, or battering. Is the universe giving us one more karmic nod at the end of an already delectable weekend, or are the Buccaneers in some serious trouble? Connor, great topic rating, as always. (laughs) Flexing your vocabulary. You didn't even need to go to thesaurus.com. I I did. I did. I don't think so. This is just in your repertoire, so... Um. I would say out of an abundance of caution that this team is still destined for the conference title game. I think Tampa Bay is is really good. You know, mm-hmm. I think they have the best defense in the league. And while we didn't see that on Sunday, um, I, I also think that their offense is very, very good. And I, 
I don't know what to attribute that to. I mean, obviously, it's not completely and totally on Antonio Brown as much as we would have liked it to have been. Um, but, yeah, I think this is just uh, two ugly losses to a, a team that's leading your division for sure. But to me, that doesn't mean that they're not going to be there in the postseason. Yeah, I think you're right, Connor. Uh, you know, we both, I believe, had some skepticism heading into the season. I certainly did about the Buccaneers. And I think I was slower to kind of say, okay, this is real. And then once they were, it was clear that they were really good. I was like, man, I've been behind. And then you see a game like that and you're like, well, what should I trust here? But you're right. They are a very good team. They are on most nights a complete team. But I have to say, Connor, this is two weeks in a row where we haven't seen them be at their best. Um, And we saw, you know, Bruce Arians make some comments again. You know, Mike Evans was open and he wasn't targeted. And, okay, we're going to be probably reading into that kind of stuff all week like we did earlier this season. But... I don't know exactly what's going wrong, but I do think they're fallible. Um, And I do think the fact that there's two weeks in a row when they haven't looked like this dominant team, that there is some reason to be concerned. I think the outward passive aggression between Bruce Arians and Tom Brady has been my favorite subplot of this season. And, you know, I would like to see... Tom Brady come out and take more responsibility for some of the roster moves that he's advocated for and stop making Bruce Arians stand there and explain, you know, every time Mm -hmm. something like this doesn't go right. He didn't want Antonio Brown. He said it at the beginning of the season that he knew what kind of player he was in Pittsburgh and he did not want him Mm -hmm. in Tampa Bay. Um, And here we are. And I think that, you know, after a game like that, I think, you know, everyone always talks about total accountability, total accountability. Um, You know, why doesn't Tom Brady say, hey, you know what? Yeah, in my unique position here, do I have a say in personnel matters? Yes. Was that an attraction to me? Yes. And am I putting my neck out on the line here on the Antonio Brown signing? Yeah. Um, And it's not working out so far. And I acknowledge that. I mean, even that to go a, a, a small way, because I feel like Tampa has been, you know, really sort of bending over backwards for Brady to try to make all this work when in reality, like, they were kind of really his only option. You know what I mean? It's not like he can be like, okay, well, I, you, you guys aren't doing everything I say here. I'm going to go somewhere else. Where are you going to go? You know, there really isn't anywhere else that's going to sign up for that. Yeah, I, I like what you said, Connor. I think you're right. And we would all respect that more. We haven't ever, that's not the kind of transparency we're accustomed to seeing from Brady. Um, and, it, you know, it's because he's had so much success that we don't, seem to like expect for he doesn't give those other kinds of things like that that you see athletes get credited for right like being transparent being honest uh, letting people into what's really going on um but what's different here now is that when things were going wrong in new england there were always kind of those sly comments or reports that would leak out like well brady doesn't have enough weapons and the roster around him is bad and he can't lift everybody up all the time. He can't throw and catch the ball, but that was in a different context. (laughs) Um, And now that's not the case, right? I mean, he, he picked this team because it had the chance to be a contender because it had a stacked roster. Uh, They're doing personnel moves that he wants. And if things go wrong, then he doesn't have that outlet, I guess, or, then that's not a factor in why things went wrong. And that will be an interesting situation if that comes to pass, I think. Yeah. I'm, you know, 
I'm all for uh, I'm all for this experiment, and I agree. I guess if you're the Buccaneers, that if you were going to go this route, which I don't think was the right way to go, you you have no choice now but to continue to go all in and to pile on and to add on. And I don't know. I think I would just like to hear. Tom Brady kind of shed some light on this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I think that we have a preconceived notion of what's going on here. And, you know, it looks like a naked legacy play for him that he's just kind of betting on the fact that nobody's going to remember any of this when we're gone. But if there is an honest effort here, I mean, I know that, that Tony Robbins of all people is involved and 2020 just continues to be weirder because of it. Like, you know, then I think that that's something that the general public would benefit from. Uh, knowing that, hey, you know, I really do see something here. He confided in me in New England. I, you know, I'm really trying to help somebody out, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I, I just think that there's nothing that I'm getting from this other than, you know, well, he's going to help us win. And that just feels gross. And it's also not true, right? Because it's not making your team any better in the interim, at least uh, from what we saw last night. Yeah. And a lot of the explanations given, as we detailed on an earlier show, some of the uh, comments Bruce Arians made about, well, we'll see what the court system decides when it's a civil court case. And that's a very different conversation. What happens in civil court versus criminal court? There's not often a yes or no answer. Uh, there could be a settlement. Uh, civil court cases can go any number of different ways. And so um, there there aren't clear parameters here. There hasn't been a lot of transparency here. Um, and there hasn't been a lot of honesty. And I think that's really hard to get your head around. If you're Brady, do you at all feel like, you know, well, I I guess you were a folk hero in New England, certainly, but after a time, very quickly, you sort of developed into that evil uh, athlete prototype, right? Like after the Patriots kept winning Super Bowls, it was like, I don't know, I remember there was always being a lot of Star Wars comparisons when we would cover the Jets, but like, you know, that sort of like evil, I I don't know anything about Star Wars. I've never seen Star Wars, but... um, I don't know. One and of the I'm not bad guys. expert either here, so a little bit again out of our depth. <laughs> you know the bad. You know the bad guys in Star right, Wars. The, right. the you know the uh, the, the ones Darth that live Vader over there on the types. Yeah, the ones the that live over Empire. there on the Death Star. Yeah. Um. You know, I feel like he quickly became that to the re- to the rest of the non New England NFL, right? Mm-hmm. Um. And now in, in Tampa, it's it's even worse. I mean, you know, I had mentioned you know i did a quick little post on the game last night and and basically the uh, social media tease was something along the lines of is anybody enjoying this schadenfreude and so many people were like yes it's just, this is great i mean seeing him you know miserable and unsuccessful is wonderful and you know i wonder if that is disappointing to him at all like he maybe felt like this was his chance to sort of build his own legacy but it's sort of more of the same you know what i mean it's it's more of it, there will always be people that just hate you by virtue because that's how people operate and people work but this is not a totally likable situation right like for the mass population right yeah i mean i think that's fair there's obviously a lot of curiosity about it um but yeah we haven't really gotten a window into what it's actually like to change teams after 20 years in one place um other than what's been presented on social media and um yeah i 
there, I would agree with you, Connor, that it's not a very, there aren't a lot of people that are, are happy with this situation. It's just hard to know. You could say, oh, well, now Brady's in Tampa Bay and things are going better than planned and enjoy that. And I think a lot of people were enjoying that on some level, just kind of seeing what would happen. But then they make this move to bring in Antonio Brown, which I view as indefensible. And that really takes a lot of the joy out of it, I think. All right, we'll get to the next news topic here in a minute. But first, we just wanted to take a minute to thank you guys all so much for joining us here on the new feed. It's been so much fun uh, experimenting with new different uh, styles in the show and production and all that kind of stuff. But we would love to hear a little bit more from you guys. And the preferred method there is in the review section of Apple Podcasts. Jenny and I check them all the time and we have great notes and great feedback. So we'd like to put a challenge out to you guys out there. We know that you guys love the Vrentis Consensus. You love the Oracle. You love all the uh, different parts of the show here. So we're going to put a challenge to you. Can you leave us an Oracle in the next uh, time you find yourself in Apple Podcast reviews? Leave us an Oracle, a bold future prediction that we may read on the show. Uh, and yeah, and if you're not bold enough to do that, um, we always invite a, a good vegan taco recipe, right, Jenny? That's right. We'll be checking the reviews. Can't wait to hear your feedback. All right. So uh, let's move on to news topic number three. And uh, this is just sort of an interesting sort of bird's eye thing, especially having Jenny here who's done so much reporting on this guy. I kind of wanted uh, her perspective here. But the Chiefs win over Carolina uh, on Sunday actually moved Andy Reid into fifth place all time in head coaching wins, which, wow, I had no idea that that was actually like a thing that was happening anytime soon. But in no particular order, Tom Landry, George Hallis, Don Shula and Bill Belichick. So Reid is in a very elite company there and as someone who's chronicled him deeply just curious what your thoughts are on that and is there a chance that even all after all of this he still is maybe a little underappreciated by evidence of which you know i had no idea that he was that close to becoming one of the top five winningest coaches ever it is pretty remarkable i will always think that andy Reid is underappreciated because for so long he was chasing this championship and it seemed like he might not get there and that became the only criteria by which he was evaluated and then he finally gets one but yeah it doesn't uh i just think that all of the things that andy Reid does and the way that he's changed offenses i i just don't so many things that we see on Sundays are because of Andy Reid and the quarterback wave that you t- we talked about earlier in the show, Connor, the first topic, a lot of that is because of Andy Reid. Like, he ushered in this new era of offense. He's not the only one, certainly, but he was a big part of it. And in the way that he developed this new offense that melded in all of these principles which coaches around the league were struggling to do and he did it before he got Mahomes right he did it without knowing that he would have Mahomes he just built this new offense seeing that that's where football was going knowing that whoever he was getting from the college ranks would be able to do all of these kinds of things that were beyond purely what a West Coast offense could do. So he took his West Coast principles, he melded them to all these college-style principles, and now this is the NFL. Um, And just for that alone, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. That's why I thought, even without the championships, like Andy Reid should be a Hall of Famer. And now he has one, and we'll see how many he'll win with Mahomes. We had a little poll discussion about that earlier this year, Connor. But um, I don't think you can overstate his impact on the way the game is played today and just how fun it is right now. 
Patrick Mahomes, I think, became, at least in my uh, uh, time viewing football, which, again, is not a huge sample size, but, I mean, he was, I think, the first quarterback I've ever seen in motion take a snap in motion yesterday. Like, it, it's just, there's so many things that he is just, you know, when you have that knowledge base and you still have that passion and the creativity, it's amazing. Like, there are those coaches with the institutional knowledge and not the drive, and then there are the coaches with the drive and not the institutional knowledge, and Andy Reid is the only one that continually kind of successfully blends those two and you know we just end up you know year after year with and week after week with just like fun things to watch you know Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and he's you know he's really into sneakers he's got his unique style hawaiian shirts you know there's just a lot of quirks about andy reed connor that are also fun to enjoy a lot to like about, you know, cheeseburgers, Hawaiian shirts, you know. <laughs> I would say stylistically he's got to be up there, right? Definitely. Of, you know. Because it's not just it's not just what you wear, but how it's you how wear. It's how you wear. That's right. That's exactly right, Connor. This is what everyone had always said about me in high school. So <laughs> um, just really but, uh slipping that in there. That's right. Um, but I'm going to hit you with a surprise follow-up for okay. news topic number 4, which is which one of these young coaches and you know I would say if I had broadened it to the entire NFL obviously you would pick someone like maybe Mike Tomlin uh, to join the ranks there but let's say someone who's been in this for five years or less do you see anybody joining Reed and Belichick um, at the top of this pantheon at some point if you had to pick one of the younger guys out and say this person's got some uh, this person's got a future well it's easy to say it this week but I promise you I would have said this a month ago Brian Flores. Nice. Yeah. I mean, he is the one coach that you always heard people say he's going to break the the curse of the Belichick tree or, or not the curse, but the, the lack of success that former Belichick assistants had. But by the point that he became a head coach that had been said about so many coaches before him that you couldn't write that with any credibility, right? You just kind of had to say, okay. But enough people said that because he was different. He's confident enough to do things his own way. Uh, you know, he's been a leader for his family. I think that translates into the way he leads as the football coach. You know, he uh, took care of his mom as as she was dying of cancer. Um, He has an autistic brother. Uh, He was so determined that his mother, before she died, would see her son, you know, make it in this football career. Um, And he did. He was hired as a head coach right before she lost her battle with cancer. And so I think a lot of the ways that he was raised um, and he went into New England and a lot of ways followed the traditional path. Right. You know, they had him in personnel and they had him on special teams and they had him in all these different roles. And he didn't have the official defensive coordinator title, but he was there to learn, but he was never set on being a mini Belichick. He has taken a lot of those things, and I'm sure that there are a lot of ways which his program has pulled from New England, but he's confident enough. Like, he has that edge to 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 lead in his own way. Um, and I think we're starting to see the results. I mean, they are a lot better than we thought they would be at this point in the extreme rebuild. Yeah, they're and they're just like... Miami is week in and week out now like a must watch which is wild you know Mm -hmm. just like one of the most fun teams um, to see and they're just playing hard and you know I don't know it's 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 really inspiring to kind of see 
how he has operated this to this point. And, uh, you know, when so many other Belichick disciples have failed, um, and especially what's going on in Detroit, like you juxtapose that mm-hmm. with like that total like hubris and everything that's going on over there. And it's just like one person seems to have truly digested the examples from the great internship they got and then ended up doing their own thing. And, you know, other people seem to have, you know, it's like anything else, um, you know, it's like, well, you know, I was, uh, whatever, I was a Goldman Sachs intern, and so now I get to go anywhere I want and act however I want, you know? And that wasn't Flores, you know? He was, uh, you know, certainly like an original in that, and I think that's a really cool thing. All right, who would you say, Connor? Is this going to be, you know, I would say it's a tie, and these are not original by any stretch of the imagination or interesting. I would say that, um, but I would say a tie probably between Matt LaFleur and Sean McVay. I think one of those two probably has a chance to build something lasting and sustainable. And, you know, I would lean towards LaFleur in that mm-hmm. it seems like they're what they have in Green Bay is already set up for beyond the Aaron Rodgers years. And, you know, they're going to have a quarterback who's well-versed in that system. And, you know, everything just seems like it's it can be more cyclical. He seems to have fallen into that role pretty nicely. And that's an organization that's always going to be competitive, I think. And so so I don't know. I, that's sort of like an unoriginal one, I guess. You know, no, if I wanted not to get spicy, I would. I, if I wanted to get spicy, I would say Matt Rule. You know, that's the. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's that's where you go with that one. Things but, are uh, looking good. Interesting that neither of us said Kyle Shanahan. That would be on a hmm. lot of people lists. Huh. I don't know why. You know, but it just maybe it's because they've been like bitten by the injury bug so much. Yeah. That. It's just like we have, yeah, we obviously saw the Super Bowl, but mm-hmm. I don't know, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I think it's also maybe kind of what you have the experience of seeing firsthand that, that plays a role, right? What you've watched. Uh, for me, you know, I saw a lot of how Flores coaches and have talked to a lot of players, and I, you know, I could see that in him as he was taking the job. And so I think that's just something that sticks in your head. So um, I think you when you're asked questions like this, you tend to go to the strongest experience that you have with someone. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, All right, what do we have for uh, news topic number five? Earlier this week, the Raiders were banged a sixth round draft pick and more fines for a second set of coronavirus infractions, bringing their monetary total of fines paid to over $1 million. Is the NFL doing enough to set an example here or should they up the ante the next time they lay down a penalty? I think that they should, I think it's the draft pick uh, should only go up from here, you Mm -hmm. know, and I'll make two points on this because I wrote that I thought there isn't a coach in the NFL who talks more about creating a culture than John Gruden. And I think that regardless of what you, how seriously you take this virus, the fact that his team has led the way in fines is the first team to get stripped of a draft pick shows a lack of a culture. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, uh, now you can't, you know, watch every single player, but if you have players on your team who feel like it's okay to remove the contract tracing device, if you have guys that feel like it's okay to go out together without masks on at an indoor gathering, if you have, you know, offensive linemen that think it's a good idea to congregate together and then miss, have to miss the whole week of practice because they're in uh, um, COVID protocol, you know, that all starts at the top. And, you know, John Gruden twice was fined or warned for not wearing a mask on the sidelines. And maybe he doesn't take this stuff seriously, but, you know, 
there are other coaches in the NFL who don't take it seriously, but know that being a good coach is coaching all the little things, right? Enforcing people or inspiring people to do all the little things well. You know, I likened it to back when the NFL cracked down on helmet to helmet hits, right? There were the coaches who complained and there were the coaches who brought in rugby players to teach people how to tackle safely. You know, no coach probably liked the crackdown on on hits, you know, and didn't want to say, you know, take these penalties and take time out of practice to reteach tackling fundamentals, but they did it. And mm-hmm. I think this is Gruden just kind of abdicating his responsibility here in reinforcing the fact that this is a very serious thing. Yeah, Connor, I think that's a great example with the rule changes. And I think of two things when it comes to the Raiders. One is that Gruden's words aren't matching his actions. And I think it's difficult to believe in a leader where that's the case. Publicly, he's saying, we take it seriously. Uh, I had COVID this year. Of course, we're you know doing all these things, but the actions aren't backing that up. The second is that the NFL has really not wanted to be punitive. They're only being punitive if there's a violation of the rules. So what I mean by that is they're not saying if somebody on your team gets it, there's some kind of punishment because they know that it's in our communities, that people have lives outside football um, and they're not in bubbles, et cetera. But the penalties come when you violate the protocols, when you're doing things at your facility that are not what has been laid out as the safest procedures, when you're not taking every last precaution and every last step to follow the protocols to prevent spread as much as you can, that's when you're getting punished. So the fact that the Raiders got punished to the degree of getting uh, docked a draft pick indicates just how flagrantly they have been violating the rules. And I got a one response that was like, well, this is the Raider way. We're tough and we don't care, which is oh asinine to begin with, you know, but I think that, you know, everyone's like, well, it's just a sixth round pick. Okay, here is where I'm going to turn this on everybody who has said the exact same thing to me. It's just a sixth round pick. If you are a coach and you espouse every day finding the winning edge, every little thing matters, you know, uh, every player, every, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I looked it up and now I'm going to forget after I did it. But, you know, between 2010 and 2020, I think there's been eight or nine pro bowlers drafted in the sixth round of the NFL draft. And so if you mean to tell me that every single guy on the roster matters and we're going to turn over every stone to make this thing better and it's not just about the first rounder it's all this stuff i mean you're costing your team a lottery ticket to get a very cheap pro bowl talent player i mean there have been plenty of of pro bowlers found in the sixth round of the draft and you just lost a chance to get that guy because you did not want to wear a mask like think about that for a second imagine if you know 2022 rolls around and there's a receiver in the sixth round of the 2021 draft that ends up becoming this spectacular talent and you missed him because you think wearing a mask is stupid like just imagine trying to explain that to your quarterback or your fan base you know and and that's that's how you should be thinking like do you think that Bill Belichick covets his sixth round draft picks? Yes. I think, I don't know if you were there with me the one year that um, at the combine, there was like a small group of reporters listening to Les Need talk. And he was like giddy about the number of sixth round draft picks he had, you know, how excited he was about, it. I can't believe I have this many sixth round draft picks. And yet in Oak, uh, Las Vegas, it's apparently just a casualty. It's something that you can just give away because you feel like, you know, being a tough guy on the sidelines. Connor, you managed to make that very strong and important argument without invoking Tom Brady 
as the sixth <laughs> round pick. You didn't go the route. Imagine Good what would have me. happened if you didn't draft Tom Brady. You were able to make the point other than that. I, I'm impressed. That was that was masterful. Good for me. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. Just had to call just had to give you kudos there. Yeah. Well, let's keep the momentum rolling here into the Oracle. All and right. I feel stronger about this Oracle. Uh, than I've felt about any prediction that I've made since we started doing this segment. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. So um, now, uh, I, you know, we talk a lot about the way that the process works when it comes to the next great head coach, finding head coaches, all that kind of stuff. We recognize that it's a broken process and that there's, you know, um, plenty of deficiencies in the pipeline. I, I, I'm prefacing all that by saying that, uh, because I don't want people to roll their eyes at me when I say this, but I think that in the coming weeks and months, I think that we are going to be hearing more about Joe Brady as a, the not a head coach, but the head coach that everyone's going to need to lock up. Um, I think there's going to be as much as there was a push for Matt Rule, um, maybe an even more significant push to get Brady to be the next kind of young offensive guru, genius, whatever you want to call it on your team. And with young quarterbacks coming out and a lot of teams at the top of the draft, I think he is going to end up leapfrogging an awful lot of names here and sort of dominating the conversation as we get into December. Yeah, I think we can just go ahead and cut that one and put that in the end of season real because you will definitely <laughs> be right about that one. So we can give that in the win column for or I'm, I'm projecting that Connor. Good. We can safely project. <laughs> we can safely project. <laughs> That's good. It's about time. Um, no, but I, I, I just think, you know, a, the Panthers are a blast to watch. They're playing above, uh, above their talent level. Teddy Bridgewater is doing a lot individually to improve, but this offense is just so pretty, and it was so pretty at LSU. And if you talk to other coaches who watch Joe Brady, they're just, you know, that's a guy that just gets stamped immediately with that, you know, that, that whatever it is, that star power that owners look for, um, that, you know, offensive ingenuity. And I think that Sean McVay has made it, uh, okay to hire guys this young at this point and while I think that we would both rather you know the process focus more on you know all the things that we've talked about in the past and you know start to redevelop this pipeline I I do think that Brady is going to be the dominant figure um, as teams look for their next head coach all right, Connor, that's a good one assertive oracle this week <laughs> what do we have for the Frentis Consensus. Consensus. This builds off of one of our topics earlier, Connor, but hearing Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels stumble their way through the segment about Antonio Brown was quite frustrating, I imagine, for thousands, even millions of listeners. One point, Al Michaels said, you know, victims' rights groups are upset about the Brown signing and Collinsworth kind of shrugged and tilted his head as to if to say so what I think if you have the responsibility of covering an NFL game on TV and Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels do a very good job of that then you also should take on the responsibility of figuring out a way to talk about these topics intelligently you don't have to pretend that you have all of the answers none of us do uh, it's 
difficult to talk about and it's hard to do. I can't imagine what it would be like to do a live television broadcast. I acknowledge that. I'm not saying it's an easy job, but I do think that there are clearly training steps or preparation steps when it comes to issues like sexual assault and domestic violence that are not being taken, right? For Al Michaels to sort of wave it off as a victim's rights group uh, concern rather than a concern that we should all have. Um, to talk about how Tom Brady, ha to his credit, has taken him into his house, but not really explaining what that means. Um, to say this might be his last chance, uh, not to reference the fact that he's already had a lot of second chances and hasn't done anything to earn this next chance. Uh, to say that he's on a short leash, but not saying uh, what he's on a short leash for. It's probably just stuff in the locker room rather than off-field behavior. So I just think we need to be smarter about how we talk about these things. And it's clear that the people in booths on this topic haven't put in the time to have a thoughtful conversation or at least make a thoughtful comment about a situation like this when it comes up. And you could say, sure, there should be more women in booths and there absolutely should be. I strongly believe that it's a big gap in our industry. But for the men who are in the booths, it's not hard to do the work and it's not hard to prepare and write out comments for a tricky subject. Write it out ahead of time. Figure out what you're going to say. Talk that through. And maybe that was done. I'm not presuming to know what preparation was or wasn't done, but seeing the outcome, it's hard to imagine that there was preparation for a thoughtful conversation when it came out the way that it did. Even if they had read from what they had written, I would be okay with that, right? Like even if Chris Collinsworth had said, yes. you know, this coming up, you know, we're going to talk about Antonio Brown right now. And this is something where I don't want to mince words. So I did write down what I wanted to say beforehand. And so I'm just going to kind of go from here. And, you know, maybe some people would roll their eyes at it, but it would be better than, I remember they, you know, uh, uh, they closed the conversation with the water under the bridge metaphor. Like, right. you know, water under the bridge for who? <laughs> like, this is just, uh, it was very startling. And I would say that you could have said the same thing about the way that they had handled week one, um, when there was a lot of conversation about, um, you know, social, um, social mm -hmm. justice and racial inequality. Yeah. Um, I think I remember Chris Collinsworth saying, Hey, by, by no stretch of the imagination, do you, you know, I'm a hundred percent with these players and I stand with them. And then Al Michaels was just kind of like, eh, and then and then we moved on and it's like you know you guys have a responsibility too you know i mean you guys are part of the conversation and you're driving the narrative perhaps more than anybody else um in the nfl and so i think that's a great point a lot of responsibility in that job and you know it was it was disappointing that did stick out um on sunday i think and hopefully to a lot more people you know and i'm glad that you raised attention to that yeah and like you said connor they have a responsibility in that role because they play a part in how people view and talk about issues like this. And mm -hmm. you might not be an expert, but if you have this role or you have a job in the media where you are putting things out into the public, it's your job to educate yourself. And I think that's something that you and I try to take seriously. Certainly there are times when maybe we don't find the right words or you might stumble over something, but this wasn't that. This was just a blatant disregard uh, for how a topic like this should be presented and discussed. Um, and yeah, it was really disappointing. 
Yeah, and I think you know, and I, trust me, this is not a, a pat myself on the back statement, and I hope that anybody doesn't take it this way. But all the things that have happened in our society, sort of the reckoning that we've gone through, um, has forced me to take a very hard look back at everything that I've written professionally from since I started covering the NFL back in 2010. You know, was I more apt to, um, you know, uh, criticize one player over another, you know, where there's certain adjectives that I use that, you know, unconsciously and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think that, you know, my audience is, and I'm not saying that this is just that Sports Illustrated is a small audience, but when you're directly reaching, you know, whatever it is, 13 million people in one sitting in one shot, like you have to go through that same process that we're going through. You know, we all took the effort and the steps, hopefully, to uh, have said, hey, you know, all this stuff is going on. Let's think about it. You know, did I ever say anything like that? Was there ever a time when I was incorrectly, inappropriately characterizing someone something and, you know, I don't know. It's just, it, it feels like the effort is not really there and that there's almost, and it's not just that booth. It's a lot of other booths like this pushback to having to address anything moderately difficult um, that's going on in society right now. Yeah. The shrug really got me because it just made it seem like it wasn't uh, an issue of importance or that the feedback from the survivors groups was not important. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I thought that was, uh, that was very well put. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us this week for the ep- this episode of the Weekside Podcast. As always, we appreciate having you here listening every week. The Weekside Podcast is me, Jenny Brentis, and Connor Orr. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Ben Eagle is director of editorial projects and product. Mark Moravik is the emeritus executive director of the MMQB. Our theme music was written and composed by singer-songwriter Ryan Harris-Brown, whose latest album, Stranded in the Present Tense, is available now on all major streaming services. Keep up with the Weekside Podcast by subscribing to our new feed. And while you're there, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, or wherever else you find your podcasts.